And we are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups. There's events calendars so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. So be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org slash app. That's bayshorecc.org slash app. And find links to download the Bayshore Church app. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see everybody. Wasn't that great about Josh and Amanda getting baptized? Awesome. That's so incredible. So good to see you today. Hope you had a great week. And uh, we're just thrilled to have you with us here at Bayshore Uh, We're in a series called The Church, and we've been talking about what the church is about, what it looks like, and so today and next Sunday we'll finalize this uh, series about just what little uh, pictures in the book of Acts, what the uh, church is about, what we are to be accomplishing in, uh, in the world, what we're supposed to be doing. We want to welcome our podcast listeners. We have so many podcast listeners, and thank you for listening if you're listening to our podcast. And uh, those that are on Facebook Live, if you're listening to Facebook Live right now, make sure you give us a little note, let us know where you're listening from, and uh, give us your name. We'd like to be praying for you. Let's give our Facebook Live a community a big hand, thanking them for listening to us this morning. Well, this morning, what we want to do is um, we're going to look at the very first sermon that was delivered uh, in the early church, and uh, it's found in uh, Acts chapter 2. Last week, we did a little uh, discussion about uh, the day of Pentecost, what that's all about, and how the day of Pentecost really represents the mission that the disciples were given. They were given this amazing big commission to reach the entire uh, known world in their time with the gospel, and they were overwhelmed with what they were called to do. And in the midst of that uh, being overwhelmed and not knowing how to fulfill that mission, the Lord sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in the languages of the people that uh, they were supposed to reach, which was a symbol, a sign that God was going to help them to fulfill their mission. And whatever you have is your mission. It's not just, maybe you say to yourself, I can't, I can't do this. Or maybe you're going through something you can't seem to get through, and you, oh my gosh, I can't do this. But it's not, life and, and walking with the Lord is not about what you can't do. It's what you and the Holy Spirit can do together. So that's what we talked about last week. So this morning, we're going to look at the very first message in the uh, New Testament. And uh, it was the first sermon ever preached, and it was preached by Peter. And it's found in Acts chapter 2, and it's basically in response to a question. Uh, And uh, basically, let me read the question to you that was asked of of, uh, 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 Peter and the apostles there. Uh, As as the people watched these uh, people being filled with the Holy Spirit and this phenomenon of people speaking in tongues, uh, there was this question that arose from them is, what is this? What is this all about? What does this mean? And it says in uh, verse 12 of Acts chapter 2, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? So the first sermon ever given in the New Testament, uh, the, the New Covenant, 
uh, after the Holy Spirit came and the church was born, the first sermon was to answer a question, questions that people had. I think people always come to church with questions. I think you came to church with questions. One of the things that Bayshore is about is not ducking the questions. And so they asked questions. They said, what is it that's happening? And so the first sermon was basically given to answer a question, an inquiry. And the first sermon was given by none other than Peter the Apostle, who 50 50, uh, days earlier had denied the Lord, had had a massive failure in his life, had even used profanity to distance himself from the Lord. And so the Lord used this fallen person to preach the gospel. And so we see the grace of God in the church. I said, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, that perhaps the most qualified person to preach about grace is the person that's most recently tasted of that grace. And so Peter is the first person to give the message. He's the first person to give the sermon uh, in the early church. I remember a couple years ago I was invited uh, to uh, throw the opening pitch for a Star, uh, Shorebirds game, and I was uh, really thrilled to do that. And so uh, I got the privilege of going on the mound. It was, I think, Faith and Family Day, and I got to throw the opening pitch for the uh, Shorebirds uh, minor league uh, game. So I was really practicing up. I was afraid I was going to, you know, hit a lady, you know, behind the dugout or something. So I was really practicing. So I had the I threw the opening pitch, and so Peter he gets to throw the opening pitch for this new season that people are in. And so the first sermon was given to answer a question. And so I want to I read uh, Peter's message to you today. And it begins in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. Now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so he quotes from the Old Testament. Really interesting point, little sidebar here as we pause for a second. The apostles in the early church, they did not have the New Testament. They did not have what we're reading right now. They had the Old Testament. And you'll read throughout the uh, book of Acts that they were constantly preaching from the Old Testament. And they saw in the Old Testament that Jesus was revealed in the Old Testament, and they took Old Testament passages and they revealed that this was predictive of Jesus' coming. So they used the Old Testament incessantly. In fact, a little point that's important to know is that about 200 years before Jesus was born, before he came to the earth, the Old Testament was translated into Greek uh, in Alexandria, Egypt, and that translation is called the Septuagint. And so the apostles many times quoted what's called the Septuagint. Uh, Septuagint is a a name basically that says it was 70 scholars that that translated the Old Testament into Greek. And so uh, when Peter preaches, he said, what you see here happening right now was something that was predicted in the Old Testament by the prophet Joel. And here's what he quotes Joel. And I wonder if he... uh, if he had his Bible there, or if Peter, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that he grabbed a scroll and unrolled it to Joel. Uh, it seems more likely that he had memorized uh, this passage in Joel, and verbatim he communicated what uh, was in uh, the prophet Joel. And here's what it says In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. 
And I will show wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of that great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, he ends, his, uh, he ends by quoting Joel, as, Joel says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. And he goes into his sermon. He's read his text. Now he's beginning to preach his sermon. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men have put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let the Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me in your presence. Now, he's quoting there. He quotes in, this is his second text, his second verse that he uses. This is Psalm 16. So he starts with Joel, and then now he takes another scripture from the Old Testament. And what we just read was Psalm 16. So his message is rooted in scripture. His message is rooted in the Old Testament. And then he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And we are all witnesses of it. Remember, the apostles were witnesses of the resurrection. In verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out on what you now see and hear. Now he says that the Holy Spirit has come, filled the people that were there, and the reason we know that that happened is because uh, what he's basically saying is because Jesus has ascended to the heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The sign that he has done that, the Holy Spirit has now come on the church. For David has not ascended to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make, an enemy, make your enemies a footstool for your, footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured that this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Interesting. They asked, their sermon started with a question. There was a question that provoked the sermon, and at the end of the sermon, they asked a different question, uh, what shall we do? They were convicted by what Peter said. So it starts with a question, and it summarizes with a question. Then Peter gives the answer to what they're supposed to do, and that answer is universal. That answer covers all of time. It was true in the day of Pentecost. It's true to today. This is the answer of how we can become Christians and follow Jesus. Peter replied, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So we get, uh, we get his message here. His message is, uh, his message is bold. His message is, is rooted in Jesus. The message is about Jesus. He's preaching about Jesus. He said, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you have crucified. And you see the boldness in Peter. Peter is, uh, you know, be- hither before he was, the, he was the guy that denied the Lord in the garden. And he was afraid of the, you know, uh, around, around the campfire. And he was filled with the timidity. But now we see a different Peter. We see uh, the Apostle Peter standing up with boldness and with courage. And he's very courageous. And he's confronting the people. He said, you have crucified the Lord. You have crucified him, but God has raised him from the dead. So his message is rooted in Jesus. The message is all about Jesus. And and a great sermon is a sermon that has Jesus in the center of it because it's about Jesus. It's not about the personality of the preacher. It's not about the lights. It's not about anything else other than Jesus. The message, a true great message is centered around Jesus because this thing is all about Jesus. It's not about Danny Tice. It's not about uh, Joel Osteen. It's not about Andy Stanley. It's not about any great preacher. It's not about anybody you see on TV. This thing, this gospel is about Jesus. And so Peter preached about Jesus. Sometimes I listen to sermons, I listen to podcasts, I listen to messages, and you can barely detect that Jesus is the center of that message. You don't hear anything about Jesus. You hear all these other things, and you hear all these things, but there's very little about Jesus. So Peter launches into his message, and his message is about Jesus. His message is centered in Jesus. He said that this Jesus whom you crucified, and he begins by saying this Jesus did all of these miracles. He did all of these incredible miracles. And he says, these miracles that Jesus did, as you yourself know, so was well established in, uh, in Peter's time and the time of the early church, that Jesus was a miracle worker, that he did all of these miracles. And so he begins his message by honing in on the supernatural power of Jesus to do miracles, that Jesus is a miracle-performing Jesus. And so he starts that way. And we, when we read the gospel, Gospels, and we look at the uh, New Testament, we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see all of these incredible miracles that Jesus performed. Thomas Jefferson, the founder of the Declaration of Independence and all that, our great, uh, you, know, uh, you know, that wrote the Declaration of Independence, and Karen and I have been to Monticello, we've been down there, and we, we just, uh, I love reading about Jefferson, but Jefferson was a skeptic, and he didn't believe that in the supernatural. So what he did, there's this thing called the Jefferson Bible, where he redid the New Testament. Thomas Jefferson took all of the miracles out of the New Testament. He just left the teachings there of Jesus, where Jesus taught about the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and all that good stuff. And he took out all the miracles, and it was just basically a little pamphlet left. Because there's, there's nothing but miracles, the supernatural power working through Jesus in his life. And uh, I'm a person who believes that God is still a supernatural God. He's a supernatural God. I just listened to this uh, audio book uh, called, uh, by a guy by the name of David Christian, and uh, the book is, uh, is called the, A New Origin Story. And he talks about, uh, his, his, about 400 pages I listened to of this book, about how, how, you know, this guy's trying to describe how the universe was formed, how the universe came about. And uh, he basically concludes that the universe is a self-perpetuating eternal universe. It's always been here. And there's no real explanation for the universe. 
that it's just here. And that, that, that our planet, he, he, was, he had the audacity to say that our planet lives in what's called the Goldilocks zones where everything is just perfect for life on this earth. And that just happened. I'm here to tell you that I believe in miracles in the New Testament because I believe that there's a God who ordered the universe, a God who positioned this planet right where it's supposed to be so that the sun's not too far too far from us or too close to us, that we have the right chemistry on this planet to have life. And I believe that because God is a supernatural God, if God can create something out of nothing, if he is the one who made matter, if he's the one that made everything, then it's very, very not, not very hard to believe that he could heal a person's blindness or take a way a person's deafness in the New Testament. So we see that Jesus was a miracle working God. So point number one about Jesus from Peter was that Jesus was a miracle working Savior. He did miracles. He's a miracle working Savior. Now, why did he start with that? Well, remember he's talking to a Jewish audience, and the Jewish audience, they are waiting for and hoping for the coming of the Messiah. And how are they going to know who the Messiah is? How are they going to recognize the Messiah? Have you ever gone to the airport and you go to the airport and uh, you're, you're trying to you know, get uh, into, your, uh, into the terminal where you need to t- catch your flight and they want to see your license? How many, you know, they got to see your license. They've got to see your license and they look at your license and they look at you, and they always look at my license, and they look at me and say, well, you're a lot better looking in person, aren't you? I said, well, definitely, you know, but, uh, and so they always want to see your license. Now, now, that's your identification card. Now, how do we, how do, how are Jewish people going to know that Jesus is the, is, is the Messiah? Where, how are they going to be able to check his license to see if he is the Messiah? Well, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament about this, and it's in uh, Isaiah 35, and I want us to put on the screen Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, we get this, uh, this little uh, message from Isaiah the prophet. Now, Isaiah wrote 700 years before Christ, and uh, so this is way, way before Jesus ever came to the earth. And here's what Isaiah wrote about the Messiah, and here's what he said, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees, that give way. Uh, Verse 4, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, The New Testament teaches that he came as God in the flesh. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, uh, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Next verse. Then when when the Messiah comes, then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. So the prediction about the Messiah is the Messiah would heal people with blindness. And then it says, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped in the next verse. Then will the lame leap. Okay, so eyes will be open, uh, ears will be unstopped, uh, and then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So Isaiah 35, Isaiah 35, 700 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah says, when the Messiah comes, he will do miracles. He will perform miracles. So Peter starts his message that Jesus did miracles. And the reason that he starts his message of Jesus doing miracles, he is proving to the Jewish audience that Jesus 
is the Messiah, and his license is his miracles. So one of the reasons that miracles are in the New Testament in the gospel, uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is not simply to give us hope that we can have a miracle, and that's definitely uh, inherent in those miracles, and we've seen God do amazing things and heal people and all that, and uh, there's, that's a whole different sermon. That's not the only reason they're in there. I was raised as a Pentecostal charismatic, and we just read about miracles, thinking the only connection about miracles is we could get a miracle, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the primary reason that Peter says that Jesus was a miracle worker was because Isaiah in the Old Testament said that when the Messiah comes, he will do miracles. And so Peter is preaching this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who came with miracles and signs, he's showing them that he is the Messiah. Do you remember uh, back in uh, Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter 11, you don't have to turn there and we don't have to put it on the screen. But Matthew chapter 11, we have this uh, story where John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus that predicted Jesus was coming, you know, that baptized people. John is in the wilderness. He's been put in, he's been put in prison by Herod because he confronted Herod about his illicit relationship with his brother's wife. And Herod's in prison. And Herod's, or, or, or not Herod's in prison, John's in prison. John sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So they go and they ask Jesus, John wants to know if you're the one or should we expect someone else? And what does Jesus say to him? Go back and tell John that the blind are being healed, that the deaf are receiving their hearing, and that the lame are walking and good news is preached to the poor. Why did he answer John that way? He answered John that way because John knew Isaiah 35 said that when Jesus came, he would do miracles. And so when he did miracles, uh, that indicated that Jesus was who he said he was, and Jesus was the Messiah. So that is uh, the reason for miracles. Say this with me. Miracles in the ministry of Jesus validate his messiahship. So this all fits together. All fits together. Peter, anointed with the Holy Spirit, is preaching this Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the center of his message. He's preaching about Jesus, and he's talking about Jesus. He's lifting Jesus up. And we as pastors and we preachers that are preaching in America in 2018, we need to get Jesus back in our sermons. We need to preach about Jesus. We need to lift up Jesus because uh, all these other things, our charisma and our personality and all this lights and all that, that's all wonderful. It's all great. We're not getting rid of it. We love it. But it's all about Jesus. And if you want to hear about Jesus at Bayshore, would you say a big amen? amen? So that's what he preached about. He preached about this Jesus who did miracles. And then, then he bows up. Then he gets his finger out. When I was taking homiletics, I had a problem. I was, homiletics is, is in seminary where you learn how to preach or try to learn how to preach or whatever. So uh, they, I had a bad habit of pointing when I was preaching. And uh, after you get done preaching in front of the students, they would evaluate you. And they said, uh, one guy, this uh, African-American guy, Tim Say from Washington, D.C., he said, you know, Deanna, you, you shot me 32 times with your finger when you were preaching. <laughs> I used to be a pointer. Now, I don't point anymore. 
You know, I, I try not to do that. But Peter, Peter's pointing. He said, he said, this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who came with miracles, and that, those miracles indicate his Messiahship is prophesied in the Old Testament. This Jesus, whom you crucified, this Jesus whom you crucified. I'm telling you, this is, this is heavy stuff. I mean, Peter, I mean, he needs to go to take an Andrew, Andrew Carnegie course. I mean, he's like, he's laying it on them. He's like, he's confronting them. And I could, you could hear a pin drop whom you have crucified. Man, I'm telling you what, I mean, when I, when I come and I preach, I want to make people feel good. I want to make sure they're happy and they're feeling good in their life. I'm telling you what, Peter hadn't read your best life now. I'm telling you, he was laying it on him. Peter said, whom you have crucified. He laid the crucifixion of the Messiah at their feet. That your responsibility, you, have, you are responsible for crucifying Jesus. He didn't back off. He says that two or three times in the sermon. He just like lays it on him. He said, you have crucified Jesus. You crucified Jesus. Look around. He said, it's, it's not your brother. It's not your sister. You. You crucified Jesus. You, you conspired with the Romans and you took the Messiah and you had him captive you had him whipped and you had him put on a cross and you were responsible for crucifying Jesus why did Jesus die why did Jesus die I I think of uh, I love our songs I love our music I, I listen to Spotify I listen to Pandora and I got all this worship music to listen to. I listen to Jesus culture music. I listen to Bethel music. I listen to Hillsong music. I love all these songs, and I, and I just love them. I was working yesterday in the yard. I had my headphones on and just listened to worship music all day and just had a wonderful day. But you know what I've noticed? And, and this is, you know, I'm grateful, but all of our songs are about, all of our songs are about how much Jesus loves us and he cares about us and God loves us and you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and you're just wonderful and all that and there's no songs about God's holiness. There's no songs about God's greatness. It's all about us. It's almost like we're the center of worship. God does love us. God does care about us. But you're not the star of the show. I'm not the star of the show. Maybe the reason that we are so sad and so depressed and so down is because we've become so self-focused in our church culture that we're no longer looking at the righteous and goodness of God and the grandeur, grandeur of God. We need to look at his face and honor him and worship him because as we get out of ourselves, Jesus says that you lose yourself, you find yourself. As we lose ourselves in the greatness of God, perhaps some of the things we're struggling with will begin to dissipate. And Peter, man, he lays it on him. I read about Peter Cartwright. Peter Cartwright, I don't know if you know about Peter Cartwright. He was, uh, he was a, a frontier preacher in the 1800s, and uh, he was known for his you know, boldness and all that. Once a group of Morgan, uh, Mormons were trying to break up an outdoor meeting he had, and he went out and beat him up. And He's just quite, a, quite an interesting guy. And, uh, he, you know, he's just, I can tell you some funny stories about uh, Peter Cartwright. But one time he was preaching, his, his oratorial ability, even though he wasn't educated, was so, 
was so profound that Andrew Jackson came to hear him, the president of the United States came to hear him, and somebody told Peter Cartwright that Andrew Jackson, the president, was in the crowd. So, you know, just keep that in mind. And he starts out his message, no lie, historically. This is, is written, court recorded uh, historically about what he said. He started his message. He said, if Andrew Jackson does not repent of his sins, he's going to go to hell. That's a good way. That's a nice joke to open a message with, isn't it, you know? I mean, he was, he laid it on him. Who crucified Jesus? Who crucified Jesus? Peter said, you crucified Jesus. You crucified Jesus. Peter looked at those Jewish people that were there when Jesus was put on the cross, and they had begun, the whole Pentecostal story begins with them making fun. Some of them said they're just drunk, and these people are crazy. And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's preaching, and with boldness and courage, he says, you have crucified the Messiah. The Messiah that was validated by signs and wonders, the Messiah that God said would come with signs and wonders. This Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, you crucified him. One Easter, I was getting ready to preach, and I was reading the passion stories. I was reading about the cross, and I was uh, reading uh, about the, you know, the crucifixion, and I just closed my eyes, and I closed my eyes, and I just was trying to picture the whole thing happening, and I, I remember um, seeing uh, this kind of like this little picture. I could see this, this sort of vision in my heart. I, I saw the cross, and I saw Jesus on the cross, and I saw the Roman soldier hovering over Jesus with a, with a mallet and with, a, with the spikes. And, and it's almost like in my little vision, I could see it's like a camera getting closer and closer and closer to the cross where I could see the soldier, the back of the soldier's head. And then the soldier wearing his Roman helmet and his Roman toga turned his head around. And when he turned his head around, I saw my face. I saw my face. Because my sin crucified Jesus. My sin crucified Jesus. I'm telling you, the church is so far off. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the church in general. The church is so far off about consciousness of sin. If there's no consciousness of sin, there's no appreciation of the cross. Until we know how grave sin is and how awful sin is in the face of a righteous God. We can never love the cross. We can never appreciate redemption because we don't think we need to be redeemed from anything. The book of Isaiah says our sins have separated us from the face of God. And in our culture, we, we cherish. We cherish and we love the things that put Christ on the cross. And Peter said, you, can you hear him say that? Can you hear Peter standing up and thousands of people in front of him 
and the apostles behind him, the 11 apostles behind him, and this uh, poor, uneducated fisherman that had just been filled with the Holy Spirit and have experienced the resurrection of Jesus, he stood up with boldness like he'd never stood before, and he said, you have crucified the Son of God. So I just, uh, I said to the Lord, Lord, you've got to help me. You know, you've got to help me. I'm in this culture. I'm in this, I'm in this world. I'm in this church world. I'm in these, uh, this world that we live in uh, in America in 2018. I'm in this world where we have, we've, we've completely marginalized sin. We've marginalized that there's anything wrong, that God just loves us. He cares about us. We're just good. And I'm okay. You're okay kind of philosophy. But that was not Peter's message. Peter's message was we're in big trouble because we've crucified the Son of God. Imagine, here's a morbid illustration. Prepare yourself for a morbid illustration. Here is the morbid illustration. Imagine the worst thing could ever happen is that your spouse was the victim of homicide. And the perpetrator took a, a, a 45 pistol and killed your spouse. Horrible, worst thing that could have ever happened to you. And you go through the, all the stuff and the trial and the funeral and the memorial service. And then when it's all said and done, you go to the cops and you say, is there any way I could get that 45 gun that killed my spouse? They work out some kind of deal and you get that 45 pistol. And you shine it up and you clean it and you polish it and you put it in a case. And you hang it in your living room. Everybody comes in and you show them, what, oh my gosh, look at this beautiful gun. When we treasure our sin, when we are not willing to repent of our sin, we are framing and polishing and honoring that which crucified the perfect Son of God. Or, morbid illustration number two, your child is hit by a car. Worst thing that could ever happen, and you get that car. You get that car, and you you restore it, and you polish it, and you keep that car because it's such a beautiful car. And you show everybody that's car. That, the Bible says that if we cherish sin, we're cherishing that which crucified the Lord. And you say, Pastor Danny, don't, doesn't everybody sin? The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have fallen short of the, of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, I know you've sinned this week. I know that maybe you've sinned with your mind. Maybe you've sinned with your heart. Maybe you've sinned with your eyes. Maybe you've sinned with your tongue. And, and we all have to repent of that. Let me ask you, just so we're all in good company here this morning, how many have had something this week that you know has missed the mark, have missed the holiness of God? Just raise your hand up right there. How about that? And those of you not raising your hand, you're a bunch of liars is what you are right there. <laughs> Peter said, Peter said, you have crucified whom you have crucified. 
whom you have crucified. Who put Jesus on the cross? Who whipped him? Who put the nails in his, hand, in his hands? Put the nails in his feet? Who crucified Jesus? Peter said, you did. That was his message. Who crucified Jesus? Who put the nails in his hands? Who put the nails in his feet? Danny Tice did. It was Danny Tice who put the nails in his feet. It was the sin of Danny Tice. It was his, it was his mind, his wickedness, his rebellion against the God who created him. It was Danny Tice who put Jesus on the cross. When he got done preaching, let me ask you this, how, how often does this happen? How, how often does this happen today? Peter got done preaching. It says they were cut to the heart, and they said, what must we do? It hadn't happened to me yet. I've been preaching for... I've been preaching for like almost 40 years. Nobody said, what must we do yet? A lot of people said, are, is it done yet? Are we done yet? You know? Is this the last point? What must we do? They were so moved. Some of the people that mocked them thought they were drunk. Some of those people said, what must we do? It says they were cut to the heart. Their heart was cut. They were convicted. The purpose of the church, a real church, doesn't just encourage, doesn't just affirm. But a real church also has times where people are deeply convicted. And it's almost non-existent in our culture today. They were, say it with me, they were cut. They were cut to the heart. Now, I looked up that Greek word because I want to know what, what does that mean, they were cut to the heart? That Greek word is used, uh, the way you understand what a word means uh, is to see how it's used in other places. So I think it's only used like two or three times. And the other, one of the other places where it's used, where they were cut to the heart, is when the soldier took the spear when Jesus was on the cross and pierced him. They were pierced. They were in pain. They were uncomfortable they needed to do something. They needed to get rid of this uncomfortableness. They were guilty for their sin. They needed forgiveness. I was walking the other day, took a three-mile walk in the heat, and I'm on a diet trying to lose some weight, you know, and so I'm walking and exercising and eating nothing. And uh, the only way to lose weight is just be hungry all the time. That's the only way. So I'm doing that. And that was, it was one of those days it was like hot. It was lunchtime, and I ate a little bit, and then I w- took a walk, and, and uh, it was hot. And I got back. I was sweaty. I mean, I was just, my clothes were sticking to me. I was just so uncomfortable. So I, uh, you know, I took those clothes off and got in the shower and cleaned off. Man, I felt so good. Conviction, when your heart is pierced because of your sin. I think it was Jeremiah said, Woe to the people that have forgotten how to blush. We need to blush. We need to blush. We need to be convicted of our sin. 
be uncomfortable. And they were uncomfortable, and they said, what must we do to be saved? And he, Peter gave the formula. And in this sermon, he did not say believe. He said repent. Repent. And the word repent is a very familiar word in the New Testament. It means to change one's mind and to change one's direction in life. He didn't say, hey, listen. He didn't say this. He didn't, this is not his message. If you don't like this message, I'm preaching Peter's message. He didn't say just believe. He said repent of your sin. Quit doing what you're doing. Because what you're doing, put Jesus on the cross. It's wicked. It's evil. Repent. Repent of your sin. It basically means you're going this way, you're going this way, you're going this way, you're going this way, and you stop, and you turn your back. You turn your back what you've been doing. And you go this way. I took my granddaughter Willow to um, school this spring, and she goes to Lord Baltimore School, Lord Baltimore School in uh, Bethany Beach area. And so I was going down 26, and I took her. And on the way back, uh, I was coming up to the Giant Store on Route 26. Some of you know where the Giant Store is on Route 26, and I knew they had a Starbucks store in there. And so. Uh, you know, anytime there's a Starbucks store anywhere nearby, you know, I'm, I'm feeling God lead me there, you know, so. So I'm like thinking about Starbucks. Oh, man, I'm going to get me a bold French roast. It's going to be hot. It's going to be good. I'm pumped up about it. And uh, I'm just thinking about this Starbucks. I can't wait to get in there to Giant to go to the little Starbucks store in there. And I turned, and where I turned was on Cedar Drive. And Cedar Drive is right in front of the giant, and Cedar Drive is a one-way street, and you're not supposed to turn in there. All of a sudden, I realized that I had turned on a one-way street, and there were cars coming toward me. And I know there's no way to explain this to a policeman. You know, there's no way to get this, get out of this. So I did a Yui, because... I don't like pain, and I don't want to run into anybody. Repentance is knowing the way you're living, knowing what you're doing is going to be destructive to you. And you turn your back, and you go the other way. Peter said, he didn't say believe. He didn't say believe. Keep doing what you're doing. It's okay. You're going to be forgiven. Everything's cool. I'm cool. You're cool. Believe. Send yourself to, to insanity, and you're going to be okay. He said repent of your sins and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. They repented. And he said be baptized. Now, baptism, real quickly, I just don't have a lot of time to go in this. But baptism is not a work. He didn't say, it's not like repent, and if you check that off, and then you're baptized, check that off. Actually, baptism is a sign that you've repented. Baptism, like, uh, you know, like Josh and Amanda this morning, when they got baptized, it's, it's a sign that they have repented, that they've turned their back on their old life, and they, that's, a, that's a coffin over there. That's a coffin. 
They're dead to their old life. They're dead to their old sin. They're dead to their old everything they did and whatever sins they were involved in. They're dead to that, and they put it in the coffin today. And their repentance, their repentance is illustrated by their baptism. And he said, repent, every one of you. Repent, every one of you. Repent, every one of you. Everyone needs to repent. Everyone needs to come to Jesus. The gospel is not where God is going to save everybody and everybody's okay. The gospel is conditional. Jesus has provided forgiveness. We must embrace him and repent of our sins and let him cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Cleanse us of all our sins. Are you glad that the Lord has cleansed you of all your sins. I'm glad Jesus has cleansed me of all my sins. I had a bunch of them. I had a bunch of sins, and Jesus has cleansed me of all of them. If you're grateful that Jesus has cleansed you of all your sins, would you say a big amen right now? Thank you, Jesus, for cleansing me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Yesterday, I was power washing my, my deck. My deck looked really terrible, and had my power washer out and you know I was out there and my wife was like babe you are killing it out here makes me want to kiss you all over when I see you do it working on the deck like this and so here's a here's a picture of uh, the some of the the decking I, I was cleaning off there and see how it's nasty all this stuff on it and this is where I power wash and all it's clean and, and our soul, our, our, our life is filled with debris. It's filled with sin. And repentance brings God's cleansing, his power to cleanse all the crud out of our heart. Here's a picture of the railing, all this green algae growing on there. Aren't, aren't you, isn't that great? Doesn't that look awesome? That's just terrible that I had my decking look like that. And I had, Here's what it looked like after I got done. And that's what Jesus does to you. Takes all the crud out of your life. I'm going to end my message right now. It's like 10 minutes longer than normal. You did it. You crucified him. Your sin is serious. But Jesus came and he's been raised from the dead and he's gone to the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession for you. And when the Holy Spirit came, it meant that Jesus was now sitting on the throne. And he's there as your advocate. He and the Father are one in heart about your salvation. Father said, you did it for him, didn't you? Yes, I did. All we have to do is repent of our sins. Cleanse us of our sins. He cleanses us of our sins. And we will be saved, Peter said. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Save yourselves. And so Jesus came to give us forgiveness. Now, I'm not going to slam. I, I love Catholics. I appreciate Catholics. The one thing I don't like about Catholicism 
as I don't like the picture of Jesus on the cross because that's just half the story. The other half of the story is he's been raised from the dead. And if you're grateful that Jesus, who Peter saw, who James saw, who John saw, who Thomas saw, who all the apostles who bore witness of his resurrection, if you're grateful that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he sent the Holy Spirit to redeem us, would you say a big amen right now? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you would like to have in the final prayer, you'd like to receive Jesus today, you'd like, you're, you're conscious of your sins, you're conscious of your sin away from the Lord, and you need to, you want to receive his complete, authentic forgiveness, and you want to repent of your sins, you want to change your life, the Holy Spirit can help you change your life, and if you want to repent of your lifestyle today, the way you're living, and come to Jesus who can forgive you, would you just, and you want to be in this prayer, would you just raise your hand up right now and say, Pastor Dan, would you pray for me? Just lift your hand up. Thank you. Lift them up high. Don't be ashamed on the day of Pentecost. What must we do? There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Let's all pray this out loud together, everybody. We're praying with those that are receiving Jesus, and um, let's just pray this out loud. Lord Jesus, we repent of our sins. We recognize that our sin is serious that our sins have placed you on the cross. But we're grateful, Lord, that you've been raised from the dead and you are the Son of God and you died on purpose that we could be forgiven and delivered from the penalty of sin. We receive you, Jesus, as our Lord and as our Savior. And just uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come in you right now. It says, and Peter said, as many as repent would participate and receive the Holy Spirit. Just as, you, uh, as you've just prayed that prayer, just say, Holy Spirit, come in me and make me a new person. Just invite him right now to come in and make you a brand new person. Thank you, Lord, for making all of us new in your, sp- in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Listen, if you haven't been baptized, we're going to leave the baptismal pool up uh, for next week and you receive Jesus today or you received Jesus a while back and never been baptized, would you please let us know today? We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. And uh, give the Lord a praise offering if you love the Lord. If you need prayer, there's uh, people up here at the tables today for prayer. We'd love to pray for you and serve you communion. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.